Welcome to Out of Rotation, volleyball talk for players, coaches, and fans. Presented by the American Volleyball Network. Here's your host, Dan Meskin. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Recording this live Sunday, June 11th at noon local time. I'm here in Sao Paulo, Brazil. We've been here for a few days and I'm on the road here with the University of Louisville's volleyball team. It's been an awesome trip so far. We flew out on Thursday night. We flew through the night, 10 hours uh, with a connection through Newark. So it was a heck of a travel day. And for a lot of our girls, it was basically their first experience with international travel. And on most all of these tours that I've ever been on, the first thing you do when you land, no matter how long you've traveled, is you go and train. You work off that jet lag, you work off all that bus rust or whatever you want to call it. And that's what we did. So we flew Thursday through the night, Friday morning. A lot of our girls were pretty wide-eyed, like, are you kidding me? We're going to go train. But we went right to the gym. We got a little bit of a snack, a little bit of caffeine, and had a pretty good training session. They were all pretty jacked up. The gym was like all concrete walls and the balls were like kind of smaller and it just felt like we were like bouncing balls and the pop of the ball was awesome. So there was a lot of energy on that Friday practice. Uh, we tried to make sure nobody napped and then we had a real nice dinner that Friday night and everybody zonked out and I think got a really good night of sleep for a good recovery for Saturday. So yesterday, Saturday, went to a kind of local market where a lot of our girls got some shopping in and just got to experience the culture. And then we played our first match against the local team here. And it was awesome. We played five sets. We ended up winning all five of them, which was great. We had 20 aces. We actually missed 28 serves, which was kind of a bummer. But getting used to the, the balls and just the different style of play, I thought we played pretty well. We got everybody in. We kind of set our lineups before the match even started. Like, here's the lineups we're going to play. We weren't kind of adjusting as the match went on. We just had kind of our set lineups because at the end of the day, this trip is about experience. It's about development. We're not trying to come up with like our starting six at the end of this trip. So um, as I sit here on Sunday, we actually this morning had really cool experience. If you follow us on social media at Louisville VB on Instagram, you can follow me Dan.Mesky on Instagram. We're posting a lot of uh, just experience that we're getting into. But today, just outside of our hotel, not two blocks away, is the biggest pride parade in the world. Six million people are about to be at this parade. So uh, I think it starts around noon, which it is right now. We got there about three hours ago, and it was just starting to light up. But just the, the energy and the vibe of the just of the whole city was really, really cool to see. And there's a lot of really good content out there if you follow some of our girls or, again, Louisville VB. Um, but other than that, right now our girls are actually in a lifting session. So we're pretty lucky at the hotel we're at. There's a really good weight room, so we're just getting some of those just kind of basic lifts in, bench, squat, a little bit of leg press, and just getting loose and getting moving. Uh, after that, we'll head to a training session for today. We don't have a team to play today, so coaches just plan practice, and we've got some really cool challenges we're going to throw at our girls. In the match that we played yesterday, we got smoked on the right side. Their right side was just basically hitting cross every ball, and we seemed to overrun that. We weren't able to muscle it up, so we're going to error correct that. And then we've got a really cool serving game that we're going to do. We just came up with it as coaches planning practice. We're going to do a four-ball drill where the very first ball is a serve, and if that's an ace or an error, that's an automatic big point. If that's a normal rally, that'll be the little point that starts a four-ball series. So if you're a coach and you're into that kind of stuff, I think it's a really cool drill. We're going to steal the name of that drill from a former volunteer coach of ours and call it Golden Ball. So that serve is like the golden uh, point or the golden ball in that series. And we'll see how that one goes. But that's one of the things with us in 
training and just planning practice, it's not very rigid. We're kind of exploring, we're learning as we go, we're adjusting, we're creating. And I think that's what helps keep the culture and keep just the vibe of our team very light and very exciting all the time. As we were doing our travel, at some point we were talking about our culture and I came up with the realization of the best way to describe it is low stress, high urgency. And just the best programs I've been around, the best teams I've been around, they're super urgent about what needs to happen, super urgent about what we have to do to get the results that we want. But we're able to walk into the gym every day and not have the stress of like, oh no, who's gonna be in a bad mood? Or, oh no, the coach is gonna get on me. Or, oh, I can't, I don't wanna do this drill or whatever it is. It's very low stress, but very high urgency. So what I wanna do with the rest of this podcast, I wanna make sure that I got something out for everybody that's been enjoying the podcast. Um, I wanna go over, I've gotten a lot of feedback from some listeners of just some different questions on all different areas of volleyball. So I want to touch on a couple listener questions. And then at the very end, if you'll stick around, there's a, there's some thank yous that I want to get out there because we're on episode six, uh, you know, two, three months ago, I don't know if I could have seen myself putting out a podcast and there's so many people that have so, done so many things to help me out. I want to make sure that I acknowledge them. Um, and then moving forward, I'm hoping to get one more of these podcasts out while we're in Brazil. So we'll give you a little bit more of an update, try to include a little bit more of our staff or maybe some of our players and get some content out for you guys about how this trip has been as we're kind of on the start of it. So within about a week, we'll be finishing up and we'll be wrapping up and heading back to the States and have some good stories to share with you. So with that, I want to get to a few listeners questions. All right. First question I want to address. I've gotten it a lot of different times and in a lot of different ways. Talks about recruiting. And I thought for right now, the best way to talk about recruiting is that initial contact. So for all my NCAA division one coaches and for all those hopeful athletes in 2025, June 15th is rapidly approaching. For those of you that may not know, June 15th is the first day that us as college coaches in the division one level can contact sophomores going into their junior year. And it's a really stressful time, to be honest. So you've got to manage all the athletes that you've seen in the last year or two. And these athletes, you know, are building a list and they might get contacted by no joke, 50 to 100 schools. And all of them want to try to schedule a FaceTime or a Zoom and things like that. So I do think it's probably more stressful for the athletes than it is for the coaches. But from the coaches side, you know, just in trying to make it short and sweet with this answer, I want to encourage everybody to just build trust with transparency. I think the recruiting process is very, very difficult in the sense of you've got to create this great connection. You've got to create this great buzz, this great excitement about your program. But I think at the end of the day, what we value here at Louisville and I think what our recruiting is based on is building trust in transparency, being completely transparent about what your roster looks like, what it will look like, what the experience is going to be, because it's always better to maybe under promise and then over deliver. I think in recruiting, when you talk about the actual results with your actual team that's happening in the moment, a lot of those successes or failures are rooted in these initial conversation and these recruiting conversations, because as coaches, we have these recruiting conversations every year, all the time. The recruits that are about to go through it, they're going to do that once. They're going to have one shot at it. They're going to go through it one time and then they're done with it. And then us as coaches, it's rinse and repeat the next year. So these conversations can be a lot more memorable, a lot more long lasting and a lot more impactful than us as coaches can maybe realize. So again, I want to encourage everybody build trust in transparency. Um, and then for recruits that may be listening, June 15th should be fun. Don't overextend yourself. You're going to want to talk to every school that's you know, rings a bell or looks cool on its sweatshirt, but you have time, you have tons of time. And the number one thing I want to give to recruits is just be you. Um, you know, a lot of 
coaches would say, don't have your parent on there. Don't have, but like, if that's you, just be you. Like it gives you a great opportunity to find the best fit. So as opposed to thinking of like what translates well to a college coach or what looks good to a college coach, just be unapologetically yourself and you're going to find a program that's going to embrace you for that. So I think with recruits, you know, we, we're probably guilty of this on the coaching side too. It's okay. What do they want to hear? You know, from either side of that conversation, I think the more that we can build trust with being transparent and the more we can just be ourselves, I think sets up the recruiting process into a great experience once we're actually at the school or university that we choose. So with recruiting, I think, you know, later this summer, we've got a great conversation with Alyssa Dierico that's going to be coming out where we really dive into the weeds of recruiting and developing a recruiting eye. But for right now, June 15th, rapidly approaching, build trust with transparency and be yourself. All right. Next question is really pertinent to my current situation being in Brazil, out of the country, and it's how much international volleyball do college coaches really watch? And I can't really speak for other college coaches, but Volumetrics and the Volumetrics network that posts basically every volleyball match that's going on in the world is an amazing tool. And I find myself just kind of thumbing around through leagues I may not even know, teams I may not even know, and just clicking on the statistics for a match. And if I want to study blocking, I'm just going to click on whoever got the most block touches. And for those that aren't familiar with Volumetrics, it's an amazing tool where, you know, for each college program in the United States, for example, especially at the Division One level, we've got access to all of our conference games obviously that's how we share film now but then all of the matches are statted for us and they do the same thing internationally so for example the vnl is happening right now so when brazil plays usa i'll be able to check that match the day after and not only watch it but i can pull up every statistic and every touch from every player there the world has become not just in volleyball but overall so much more connected that there's so much information out there so i do think that most college coaches are watching a good deal of international volleyball and i think it's just different for everybody but the biggest thing is there's so much that we have access to i think the skill right now in learning and developing skill and talent is being able to sift through what's important and almost putting a stopper on like okay i could go down this wormhole forever studying blocking studying all the different blockers in the world but it's like at some point I have to make a strong opinion about what I think is right. And that's one thing I always come back to is just having strong opinions loosely held. We have very, very few like principles in our program. And I think that's really helped us like guide our training and guide our development and making it more player focused where a player is not going to come into our gym and, okay, you have to relearn everything because I watched this international match and the best player in the world does this. So now you need to. Because that player probably didn't have that experience, that international player, they probably didn't have that experience when they were like 16, like, hey, you need to completely change what you're doing and this is how you're going to do it. Like, they learned to do it because they were so elite. And I think it's really important that we empower our athletes to learn to hone their skill and do the things that they do well in their own way. Again, that's not that we don't have opinions, but we don't need to have like principles for every little detail of how things need to be trained. We need to learn from our own players. So again... You know, I I watch a ton of international volleyball. I don't know that I know the names of all these great players, but I do know their numbers on volumetrics, and I do kind of go down that wormhole a lot when I'm trying to learn about a skill. But the world is so connected, it's really important for us to sift through what we think is important and at some point make an opinion about it, get moving, learn quickly, fail fast, and improve it. All right, the next one is, what should young coaches be doing to add to their toolkit to make them more marketable? And I don't think I have a specific thing that's going to like boost your resume right now. But for anybody, you know, a player, a coach, somebody who's not in volleyball, who's listening, I think the biggest thing is 
Don't be afraid of the unknown. I think for the longest time, you know, my first job, I was at Nebraska for seven years and I learned so much. I've got a lot of nuances and drills and different things I still use to this day from that experience. But once I took my first job after that, which was a head coaching job at a division two school, I just was in a completely different environment and it challenged me to grow in so many different ways and really kind of defend the things that I kind of thought I knew. And I really liked that I was in a big, a good headspace to be a learner and grow but I'm not saying that young coaches should hop around different jobs, but I do think you should not be afraid of the unknown, whether it's the unknown of a new opportunity or it's, you know, joining some advisory board or anything that you could get involved with at your current, you know, athletic department. But just don't be afraid of the unknown really at any age, but for young coaches in particular. I think sometimes we can get too caught up in the fact of, you know, I've got this good job and if I take this other job, does it look like it's a lateral move or it's a move down or it's whatever? Um, I just don't think that that stuff matters. I think if you're willing to learn and grow, the more people you can work with, the more experiences you can dive into, the better you're going to be. So again, for coaches, players, people outside of volleyball, don't be afraid of the unknown. Take chances, try new things, learn new things, and really develop who you are as a person. And in turn, I think that that's what makes us the most marketable for those other jobs we might want to get or those other opportunities that we're seeking. All right, so the last question is very volleyball specific. So I got a question about right side blocking and in particular, uh, getting burned down the line on right side blocking out of system. And I just wanted to get on here and cover this one really quickly because I think there's a simple solution to try. Now, when I say solution, that's in air quotes because you have to see what works for you, how high your players touch, uh, you know, how skilled they are, how fast they are, all those different things are gonna change I work, but if we're struggling with our blockers and they feel like they're in the wrong spot or they feel like they can't time it, and that's a whole nother issue. I don't think you can time attackers as blockers. I'll get into that in a different episode. But if you want to try something new, and I think for this, it's more of like the 16s and above, is we need to get our blockers back on the ball. And so much of the time in blocking, a lot of us have heard, watch the ball, then watch the setter. Once the setter sets it, watch the ball and then get to the hitter. And let's really watch the hitter as a blocker because the hitter is going to move their wrist and they're going to move their arm and where they're facing is going to tell us all of this. But especially as we get more physical and especially as offenses move around, it's really important to let your blockers try to watch the ball more. And, you know, for us at the University of Louisville, we have a couple kids who touch over 10-6. There's a lot of time that our blockers only watch the ball from the setter's hands. And I'll say that again. Our blockers watch just the ball out of the setter's hand. When it's tight, when it's inside, when that hitter is really trapped, that's when we encourage our blockers, hey, get on the ball, cast a shadow over the ball, and make sure you know where that ball is interacting with the hitter. Because if you think about it, let's flip it really quick. The hitter is watching the ball. They're kind of subtly watching the block, maybe in their peripheral vision, but the hitter is fixated on the ball. If we can get our blockers to have that same mentality of like, I'm going to attack that ball, and that ball's within you know, three feet of the net, I think that puts our blocker in the best position to be super physical, super aggressive in the block moves that they make. So for this specific question, right side blocking, out of system, I'm getting burned down the line. Simplest solution is you need to watch the ball longer. Be aggressive to the ball, cast shadows on the ball, create touches on the ball, and the hitter becomes a little bit more irrelevant. So again, this is an opinion that I hold loosely. This is not a principle. I think that certain blockers, it serves them better to watch the ball more. I think other blockers, it serves them to watch the hitter more, but I don't think that it's a one-stop shop and everybody should have the same eye work. 
last thing before we sign off for today, I got to work in some thank yous. And before I do, you know, at, in talking to all of these top athletes and great volleyball players, I've heard the word affirmations a lot in these interviews. And it's challenged me to continue to write affirmations when I'm journaling and things like that. And the one I always come back to is I want the word thank you to be the thing that I say most often in a day. And it came to my attention that in this podcast, I haven't pointed out the awesome people that have made this thing come together. So the number one would be my wife, Laurel, who really kind of pushed me over the edge with this podcast thing. It was something I was thinking about doing and talking about. And she just got me to jump in with both feet. So I don't think I'd be on here today podcasting if it wasn't for her. Her love and support is so important to me and really got this thing rolling. Um, And then for the podcast itself, John Baylor, Great uh, radio guy for Nebraska volleyball for years and years. I got to know him in my early career, and he was gracious enough to do the opening and the closing that you're about to hear. Um, and then with our cover art, a uh, neighbor of mine, Tiff Emery, uh, was really vital in creating the uh, cover art. And Carly and John Klanick have helped me out a ton with just some graphics and different things that we've been doing to pump up the podcast. So uh, last but not least, if you're listening to this, I can't thank you enough for seeking this podcast out, for giving it a listen. Uh, If you get an opportunity, follow us on Instagram at out of rotation or follow me on Instagram at dan.mesky. On either of those, shoot me some feedback, some things you want to hear on the show, different topics you might want to hear, guests you'd like to see, and we'll keep pumping this thing out every Sunday. So again, appreciate you listening. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Out of Rotation with your host, Dan Meskey, presented by the American Volleyball Network. Until next time, come on, don't give them any free points. Always stay in rotation.